Our scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis. We are still there. Yes. And we'll be there for for just a bit more as we continue to explore these nexus points, these places where God's presence and our lives come together, where heaven and earth touch and overlap as we explored a bit more last week. Today we explore a unique sort of overlap, a nexus point, one that's typified in the biblical story by a tree. From Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 8, and selected verses going into chapter 3, we read, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. In chapter 3, verse 1, we read, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Let's pray. God, this story is saturated really in our lives and in our history and our culture, whether or not we've read a single sentence of the Bible. We've seen illustrations and heard different metaphorical takes on this story, and and really it's become so part of us that it's hard to really listen to its words. And so, God, we pray for ears to hear and eyes to see the truth you have for us today. May your word read our hearts as we read your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I arrived to the meeting spot where our basketball team was preparing to go on a traveling team trip to Reno. And I arrived just in time for the coach to tell the whole team, you know what, we might not be able to make it. One of the cars broke down, and we don't have enough spots for you all. And I said, I'll drive. (laughs) And so, earnestly, I was ready to go, and the coach said, no, 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 before you do that, you got to talk to your parents. You need permission. I was only, excuse me, I was only 17 at the time. 
And so I went to the nearest payphone. I think everyone in this room probably knows what that is. And I called my parents, collect, of course. And in that phone call, I asked my parents if it was okay. And, and my dad said, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable with that. Your van isn't in great condition. It probably won't make it. I hung up the phone, and my coach said, so, what did your parents say? And I said, I'm driving. <laughs> Our biblical text, this is a true story, by the way. It's one of the worst of my life. Our biblical text this morning is one of the most culturally iconic moments of this playing out, kind of on a big stage for all of us to see. Two humans receive a clear command. You can eat from any tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat that. A snake shows up, a serpent, and questions the command, casting accusations toward the giver of it. And the humans eat the fruit of the tree, the story takes a dark turn, and you start to see odd, strange, horrible things begin to happen. Deception, incest, murder, as humans continue to perpetuate that same mistake. Our ideas of this text come preloaded with much. Many of us who are Presbyterians and part of a deep Reformed theological heritage have read this within a framework that I am all for, by the way. Uh, a frame of, of righteousness and a frame of sin, a frame of being right with God, and a frame of not being right with God. We call it the fall. And I don't ever want to change that, I'm telling you right now. But I would like to suggest that there is a second theme that's right there in the middle of the text, hidden in plain sight, that's trying to communicate something about this good and evil, or as the text says, good and bad. It hones in on certain words like crafty. Knowing and wisdom that are right there in the text. You see, the text says that God gives humans trees that are pleasing to the eye and good for food. Later in the story, Eve notices a different quality to one of the trees. Not the tree of life, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the text says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. God didn't say, hey, that tree is desirable for gaining wisdom, but Eve saw something about it, and it was desirous to her. The biblical story will go on to tell us of the same incident on repeat. Seen desiring, and taking. Really, in the Hebrew, it's the same words are used over and over. We may not always catch it in the English translations, but it's the same process of Lamech, the murderous uh, poly, uh, polygamist, excuse me, the murderous polygamist who comes just chapters later. Uh, or of Abraham and the slave Hagar of seeing and taking 
of, uh, of, of so many folks, of, of the Tower of Babel, and how they see and want to make a name for themselves. Taking what is pleasing in your own eyes is the quickest road to folly. Ah. And it's not just a message about food and relationship. It's about power and wealth and influence. It's not these tiny little sins we're talking about, but these big, momentous ones as well of how everything is driven by the seeing, desiring, and taking. This leads to the main idea for this sermon today, and it's this. And Stay with me here. It's a little longer than norm. The path to death, we see that in the scripture, the path to death is paved with folly. Folly comes when you take what is good in your own eyes. The path to life is paved with wisdom. Wisdom comes when you meditate upon the Word of God. So why does wisdom come from meditating upon the Word of God? Because when we don't, there are three traps that snag us, and we see these traps playing out in this, this scripture. And I think they're pretty prevalent and ones that I've experienced throughout my life. The first trap is that the accuser deceives us. See, when we started our trip up to Reno, I somehow felt confident that I was doing the right thing. I actually had deceived myself into thinking that my dad wanted me to actually go. (laughs) Yeah. And part of that was just me wanting to be liked by this team that I was new to. I wanted to be liked by them. And I started to think that my dad's words were different than just the moments before when we spoke. You see, the, the accuser in Hebrew is a word you might know. It's, it's the word accuser is the word Satan. Satan. That's what the name Satan means. It, in fact, it may not be a name. It's just that's what that character does. That's what this figure in the Bible does. This figure accuses. I hate doing this to people, and I hope you hate it too right now, because that's what it feels like. This is the figure in the Bible who causes humans to be double-minded or think twice when it comes to trusting God's word and God's faithfulness. We're told that this Satan is crafty. In some translations, we see the word is shrewd. Well, in this story, the Satan isn't trying to convince us that we should just disobey God. That, That is, I think, there, but it's not really what's truly at stake What's truly at stake is not just committing a little sin like lying or thievery. It's not trusting the goodness of God. What does the Satan say? He says, God knows that when you take this, you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. He's telling this this character, Eve, he's telling Eve, you can't trust this God. He's holding something back from you. And you can have it if you just take it. 
This is about character formation. This is about trust. This is about the depth of who we are. And yes, it's very important to continue to talk about those other manifestations of a mistrust. Those other sins as we know them, but there are greater, capital S, sins at stake of making ourselves and others more trustworthy than God. Whenever we allow the shrewdness of voices in our lives to cause us to doubt God's goodness, the deception continues. Whenever we lay aside the historic Christian values, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, I may have missed one. Whenever we do that, whenever we take what's good in our eyes, we're going towards the same end. We are listening to the accuser who tells us, oh, no, 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 those things, okay, they're okay. But go for this. The ends justify the means. Go for that thing that you know God wants that end. You know that. Just go for that. This. And that's the accuser working in us and through us and us believing the accuser rather than God. See, the first trap is that the accuser deceives us. The second trap is that the story changes. One of our pit stops My coach said, hey, your van doesn't sound that great, and it smells kind of funny, too. Are you sure your parents were okay with you driving? And at that point, I had begun to create my own story in my mind, like I told you. And I said, yeah, he encouraged me to go. But here's the thing. Did you catch the same? This is, I mean, I really did say this stuff, too. I can't believe it. In the story, in this Genesis story, did you see what Eve did? It's not quite as brazen as me. But her story changed from what God said. You see, God says, hey, you must not eat from any tree. Uh, You must not, you can eat, excuse me, from any tree, but not the tree in the middle of the garden or you will die. What does Eve say? Eve says, we may eat from any, uh, from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. That might sound like a minor detail, and I'm not piling on women here or any gender or anything. I'm saying that this person in the Bible is changing the story, and the story begins to shift. Here's the problem. When God instructs the humans not to eat from that tree in Genesis 2, God never says anything about touching it, and this is no accident. Over and over in the Bible, people continue to change the commandments of God, the instruction of God, and we do this. We do this when we read the Bible. Uh, You know, if you think about most um, modern interpretations of Scripture, not the translations, but the way we read it, think about the story of David and Goliath, right? Where many people say the main point is you can slay your giants, And the main point is not, you can slay your giants. I'm sorry, I'm big. I don't like that story. (laughs) Don't, Don't tell that story. The story is, the battle belongs to the Lord. And it's there right in front of us. And how this one person trusts that in the midst of so many who doubt it. The battle belongs to the Lord. This goes on and on about how... um, 
people in Scripture continue to change or tweak. Like, for example, today, when we read the prophets, we somehow think the prophets are just predictors of the future. When really they are sentinels and messengers of God's justice and righteous, righteousness to the oppressed. And it's over and over in there. In, in all of the prophets, this is what the prophets are trying to tell us. And try to tell the people, actually, who are there. And through them and their story to us. But we've changed the story at times. Here, try this. Before you read a passage of Scripture, maybe a familiar story. It's got to be familiar. Try telling it to someone, maybe to yourself. If you like to stand in the mirror and talk to yourself, you can do that. And tell that story from beginning to end. And then when you're done, open the Bible, read it. And just note, this is not a judgment. I do this too all the time. Just note the parts you may have left out. There are no inconsequential throwaway lines in the Bible. You do know the Bible was edited many, many times over until the shape we got it today, that every little bit of real estate on those scrolls mattered. They cost a lot of money back then. You do know that, right? And so when people copied this, they weren't just throwing in throwaway lines. Every bit matters. And so just check yourself. Oh, I forgot that part. That's okay. Just note it. And then if you continue to do this, you may find a pattern of the things you may have left out. It'll be one of the most fruitful studies you've ever done of Scripture in your life. The second trap is that the story does change. The third trap is that our desires overwhelm us. You see, we finally made it to Reno. My van wasn't really driving right, though. It was making all sorts of noises and smelling awful, but I was in way too deep. I made a wrong turn down a one-way street, and the power steering went out completely. Things were looking worse and worse. I kept filling the radiator, but it kept overheating. We finally made it back to Bishop on the 395, and it started to just smoke. I called my dad to tell him what happened. This time I got some money and didn't call and collect. See, the text says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, it was also desirable for gaining wisdom. She saw something there. So she took some and ate it. The biblical story will go on to tell us, sometimes with kind of a wink and a nod of this same incident, seeing, desiring, taking, seeing, desiring, taking. The strange irony for this, for Eve, is this. What does she desire in that moment? She desires wisdom. Isn't that a good thing? She desires the thing that the rest of the Bible will go on to tell us. is like, that's what you want. You want wisdom, Acquire wisdom, right? Proverbs tells us. Acquire it. Seek after it. And Eve sees wisdom and decides to take it. But the story is also telling us something. For God did say, no, don't take from the tree. And, and I believe, here's why, because the rest of the story goes on to tell us God's word gives you wisdom. There is no quick fix for wisdom. There are no five easy steps 
for wisdom. It takes a lifetime of meditation. There is no there. You continue to seek. You continue to grow. This is not a story about being saved and not being saved, about who is in with God and who is out. No, this is a story about an ongoing life with God where God wants to give us the thing that we actually want. Wisdom. The ability to discern between good and bad and to do it in all times and places. The real question is, are we willing to take what God wants to give us or what looks good in our own eyes? The third trap is that desire overwhelms us. So from Bishop, we illegally crammed into the remaining cars that we had on that basketball team trip. And I made it home at 1 a.m. I walked upstairs. I knocked on my parents' door. And I told them I was home. My dad said, go to bed. I went to bed. And I heard this down the hall a little scared in that moment. He opened the door and he said, we're getting up at 6 a.m. and we're going together to fix your van. He closed the door and he went back to bed. My dad never yelled at me. And my dad's a vocal guy. You can tell how loud I am. He's a vocal guy. But he never did. He never beat me down for my mistake. I believe in that moment he showed some great wisdom that he didn't abandon me either and say, well, I'm not going to talk to you or be with you. That trip that we took was pretty harsh, but we went together. We fixed that van. I drove it home. I lost access to a vehicle my, my beginning of my senior year when I had to ride my bike to school. <laughs> a, little, a little embarrassing, but that was consequences. But there was wisdom there was a lesson learned. I've never been in an accident since. I've never done anything really foolish with a car since. See, what's interesting to me is that this biblical story some, ends somewhat similarly. After Eve gives the fruit to Adam, their eyes are opened, and their reality is more than they can even bear. So they hide. There are consequences. God curses the serpent. God also curses the land. It's right there. You can read it, Genesis 3. But God very clearly never curses the humans. It's interesting. There is no curse for Adam or Eve, just for the serpent in the land. But God tells them that because they have done what they have done, that relationships as they know it will never be the same. The relationship with God they are now expelled from the garden, the place where they walked and talked with God. They're no longer in the garden. What else? Their relationship to creation. It's going to be hard when you try to work this land and grow things. And even the serpent's coming for you. That's an enemy. There's going to be enmity between you. Between each other, 
The passage tells us what? That Eve is going to have pain in labor. That's true. It does say that, but there's something else that it does say as well. One of the words in that passage, it says, you're going to have pain in conception. What? (laughs) I'm not sure that's the way it works. But consider the relationships between Adam and Eve. Consider the struggle it is to have a child. Consider how painful this process can be for so many. What God is saying in that moment is, yes, labor is painful, but the relationships between you will also be painful. It'll be hard. We still live in the wake of that today. And our relationships between husband and wife, between man and woman, they are still plaguing us because of these decisions to to take desire and eat. But see, God doesn't abandon the people. They go on to die, but they don't die immediately in the story. God will force them to leave the garden, but God also provides for them food, clothes, offspring. If we're paying attention, this vengeful God of the Old Testament doesn't look so vengeful and vindictive after all. It's a God who is grieved And who begins to go on a mission to heal the world. You see that even when we don't meditate upon the word of God, God's merciful invitation is still extended. God's love for us, even in our folly, is great. And God's desire, God's purpose to teach us wisdom continues. God invites us to continue to discern the difference between good and and evil using God's word. The written word, the poetry, the narrative, the prose of scripture, the living word, the spirit that dwells in us. We don't do this on our own. We don't sit at home with our Bible figuring out all of the issues. We do this together in community. And when we do, we gain wisdom. Not from a tree, not from a quick fix, but from meditating upon the Word of God. Because God gave us a living, breathing wisdom in Jesus. One who made his life about passages like this and who gleaned from it the deep abiding wisdom of God for all times and all places. So, Will we take the invitation from God or take what is right in our own eyes? Amen.